Hey, baseball fans, welcome to the Wenatchee Apple Sox podcast with your host, the voice of the Apple Sox, Joel Norman. Back again with another off-season edition of the Wenatchee Apple Sox podcast. I'm Joel Norman, and we're joined now by the head coach of the Apple Sox, Mitch Darlington. And Mitch, maybe you're like me. It's a little bit weird each week not having a baseball game in there, but kind of slowly moving into the offseason, and a lot of the focus has, I imagine, for you already gone toward that 2024 roster. How's the offseason treating you so far? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, you know, season ended a little shorter than we would have liked. You know, weren't able to make a long playoff run, but uh, happy to be back in the playoffs. Um, and we, we kind of just jumped right back into it. You know, a couple days had gone by, and we uh, started working on the 2024 roster, um, you know, me and Mike sat down and um, just kind of hammered out some names that uh, we want back on the team and hammered out some names that uh, of uh, guys we're interested in. So, yeah, just been slowly getting into a little bit of the recruiting and fall is definitely uh, right right here. I think the strangest thing uh, for summer college baseball is that the season is not the norm. The rest of the year is kind of the normal part of the year, but the season is, you know, the part we all look look forward to. And it is it is strange in a lot of ways. We're all kind of going back to what we normally do, I suppose we could say. But, you know, you've had a few weeks to reflect on the end of the season. We've been about, I'm trying to think now, at the time of our recording, it's been about three weeks since the season ended. We've had time to probably – probably not want to, but think about some of the games at times and maybe just, you know, wonder about certain stuff. When you look at this 2023 season as a whole, and for those who missed it, of course, it was a 37-17 and 17 season, lost in the first round to Victoria, but a lot of records set along the way, which we're going to touch on in a moment. Mitch, when you kind of reflect on this season as of right now, your first gut reaction, what are some things you think about and how do you look at this season in review? Overall, really, really happy with uh, with the year. Um, you know, anytime you can win 37 games, be 20 games above 500, you got to be proud of, of accomplishing that. For me, you know, just this being my second year coaching the Apple Sox, I'm looking at it more as a, um, you know, as a program. Did we take another step uh, in 2023? You know, obviously in 2022, I thought, we, you know, we definitely went one step farther. We were, we were knocking on the door, playing for a title, you know, but – but every year is different in the West Coast League. I really thought this year's team, the team we put together, was better than the year before. I think, I think we've definitely made a jump. We, you know, in the offseason, our plan was, hey, we we need to attack the pitching staff. And I thought, um, you know, we did a great job of getting some really talented arms in here, you know, and really establishing what we are as a team, you know, a team that plays clean defense, that pitches it well, you know, and, and kind of wreaks habits on the base paths. So I think we did. I think we took another step forward. I think we are growing, you know, not only the brand, but growing the type of players that want to come in here and play for us and, and creating a culture where, you know, a lot of a lot of guys are starting to hear about the Apple Sox and want to come play up here. And um, so I'm, I'm really proud more of of taking that next step uh, this summer. You look at the 2022 season, this is something we talked about shortly after the team goes around higher than they did this year. But Again, the regular season success, I think, was night and day. 2022, it's a 500 team. 2023, 20 games above 500. When you look at those two things, despite you know, the way the postseason, of course, goes, when you look at the improvement, what was the biggest thing? You touched a little bit on the pitching. Let's ask this more specifically then. What changed about the pitching from 2022 to 2023? Yeah, I think, you know, we 
we limited our walks. We had we had a lot of just you know guys that came in and, and attacked and filled up the zone and um, you know worked quick. But you know, in all honesty, I think we just had a, another level of talent uh, in Wenatchee. I think we really tried to go get those guys that are heading to Division One schools, you know, or already on a Division One roster. You know, and and that takes time to build. That that's just one summer. That's one year jump. You know, it's it's building those relationships with the schools where we're going to keep getting more talented players in here. So I I just thought honestly overall just the quality of arms that we had in were just a, another step up. You know, and we and honestly we were able to bring back some really key returners on the mound with uh, Evan Canfield, Quincy Vassar. You know, some guys that you know Garrett Gores that that were solid year one, but took another step in year two. So, you know, that's what we're trying to do overall, not only with our, uh, with our guys in the pitching staff, but position players as well. We're trying to get guys in who want to return and, and kind of want to be a part of the Apple Sox for not just one summer, but going forward and, um, and continue to be a part of this. And I think there's no doubt the pitching was such a, an important part of this summer's team. 488 ERA in 2022, 335. In 2023, a great jump right there. And then I think really the all WCL selections from the Apple Sox certainly reflected how good of a pitching staff. You touched on Evan Canfield, of course. He was an honorable mention. Jaden Williamson and Toby Har were both second team guys. Michael Keneally, Ryan Martinez, also honorable mention players. And I think it was so fun seeing the pitching staff take that step because that was something I remember all last offseason. You kept saying, you know, that's something we've got to improve. So, it had to be pretty satisfying for you because I, I remember early in the season, there was that great stretch where almost every starter was going at least five innings in there too. It just gives you a chance to win every day when you have good starting pitching and, you know, quality bullpen arms. It's really, it's the biggest difference in the league. You know, you see the teams that, you know, you match up one through nine and say, yeah, hey, you know, they got a great one through nine, but it, you know, if you don't have the horses in the bullpen and you don't have quality pitching to give you a good start, it's, it's just too tough to win in this league. You, you, you've got to find a way to get good arms on your roster and guys who can stay and, and, and just build your entire floor up, you know, for, of your pitching staff. So, yeah, I thought, I thought, you know, that was a huge reason why, uh, you know, we were better this summer, you know, cause arguably one through nine, man, we did, you know, we swung it really well in 2022, had a really good position player wise roster. Um, I just thought, you know, the pitching staff took another step. You know, and now it's time for everybody to take that next step as we head to next year. Switching focus to the bats. I remember one time we had a conversation during the season where you were saying, and I agreed with you, we thought the 2022 team was probably better one through, maybe not necessarily one through nine, but certain spots in the order were a little bit better than 2023. But, you know, day in and day out, it wasn't like your offense had to have a lot of big nights this past summer, but they mm-hmm. did. Even I mean, this was two really good offensive teams you've had in two seasons when you look at the 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 way this team operated at the play in 2023 compared to 2022, what changed? What things did you see a little bit differently, whether that was skill, whether that was maybe changes you had with moving guys up in, in certain spots or whatnot? What, what did you see? Yeah, you know, I think our approach really is just, you know, having guys be confident, playing loose. And I think offensively, I think in the last two summers, you've really seen that with our lineup. They're just we don't put a lot of stress, a lot of tension on guys, and we want them free in the box. And, um, you know, I think that translates to the guys having good summers and, and enjoying their time and putting good swings on a baseball. So, you know, having an environment where you're enjoying it, you're a little more relaxed, 
you know, there's not that stress pressure on you 24 seven. I think some of these guys have good summers, but honestly, it's hard to say, you know, both summers, we had guys that could swing it and it, you know, it just varies team to team. It varies guy to guy, but no, this was a fun lineup, man. We, you know, I think we led the West coast league in home runs. We had a lot of guys that could run a ball out of the yard at any time. And uh, you know, it kind of made a flair for the dramatic there for a while when, when, when we got hot. So it was fun to watch. It felt like the long ball in general was such a, a difference for this team. And I remember there was a point where it felt like in what early July we were going, what's going on? It feels like they're not getting a lot of home runs. There's a few guys who, you know, we're waiting for him to leave the yard. And Josh Williams had that stretch in late July where he hits five home runs in nine games. Easton Amundsen was the home run guy for the team in June. It, it was one of those things that had to be, you can't teach guys necessarily how to hit home runs. But it had to be really cool for you during that stretch, kind of, because it felt like day in and day out, we were expecting someone to go deep every night. And then for that one week, we also expected it to be Josh Williams every night. Yeah, no, there was definitely some moments there, um, you know, even going back to Bend at home, Nanaimo at home, a couple of those series where, you know, first couple innings, it was like, hey, here's a three-run shot. Next inning, here's a solo shot. Third inning, someone else runs one out which makes it really easy as a coach, man, standing in the third base box when you just get to high-five someone as they round the bases. It it uh, it makes it pretty easy. So, I, you know, I, I thought that was another another difference this summer. You know, the first summer it felt like we did a lot of hit runs. We did a lot of bunting. We did a lot of sacrifice squeezes. We did a lot of ways just to manufacture runs. And, you know, I think at times this summer we did do a little bit of that. But, um, you know, we, we had a lot of times where we just let guys sit and hit and it produced runs. You know, one thing I would say that, uh, you know, I'd like to get a little bit more back to manufacturing runs. And we had times where we had we had a lot of power, but we had a lot of swing and miss that went with that. And we had nights where, uh, you know, it just felt really tough to get a run. And, and you're not always going to run a ball out of the yard. And, um, you know, I think overall, one through nine going forward, we got to be a little more balanced and and find a way to still get those guys in here that can get jobs done and do the little things and steal bags. and and uh, not just play for the long ball. I'm going to ask you about some more of your other favorite moments from the season in a little bit, but while we're on the topic of the home runs, let me ask you this, Mitch. What was your – what was a home run – It's gonna be, it was, there was a lot of fun ones during the year, but what was one home run that really stood out to you? Maybe it was your favorite because of the situation in the game. Maybe it was because of the, per, the person, but give me one home run for you that you could say was your favorite from the 2023 season. Oh, man. I mean, honestly, one of my one of my favorites was early, early on that opening weekend when Garrett Gores, uh, he hit one of the farthest balls I've ever seen hit uh, in Bend. I can't remember if that was night number two, if he was DH in after starting Friday night or Sunday. But for him, you know, to be a two way at the junior college level, we brought him in more as a pitcher. Hey, it's early on, in our you know, 10 day contracts. Let's let Garrett DH and he just hits a, a moonshot to left field. Um I remember that one being pretty special. Um, Josh Williams hitting back-to-back home runs at two-in-one game at Nanaimo. Uh, you know, after that second one, it was like, all right, are they even gonna are they gonna pitch to this guy? Or are you just gonna put him on every time? So, <laughs> a couple of those really stood out. But I mean, we had a, we had a lot of guys with some big moments. He had that Josh Williams at us. He had that whole that whole series at Nanaimo. I mean, the two game, the two games, the two home runs in the one game, and then the next day hits the grand slam. I mean, they had to be thinking like, "Who the heck is this guy?" He had no home runs before that series, but he just woke right. up and 
my favorite thing with the Gores one that you mentioned was I, I'm here at the Apple Sox office and earlier in the week I was I saw the baseball cards we had left over from the Sunday giveaways and I was reminded that Garrett Gore's picture is of him batting. You know, right. a year ago we would have been like, why why would we have done that? But he, of course he, that was kind of for a while what we were expecting out of him. He was going to make those starts once a week, but you're right though. That first week and a half of the season, that was our three-hole hitter in <laughs> Garrett Gore's, right. wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the fun part about this league is you look back on you know, 10-day contracts, and you look at your roster from early on at these box scores, and some of these guys are like, man, I can't even believe that was our lineup one through nine because you go fast forward two, three weeks later, it's just completely different. But no, that that's a fun that's a fun memory for sure. Um, you know, MJ Sweeney hitting the home run at Bellingham to give us the lead was, was probably one of the bigger ones of the summer um, mm-hmm. as far as an impact game. And that, that night felt like a must win, felt like a playoff environment, and that one was a pretty big one. That's up there as one of my favorite games of the year, for sure. Um, for my favorite home run, you know, I'll go with an odd pick. I'll go with one that you might not think of immediately, but then you might nod your head in agreement. Um, I'll go with one that was against the Bend Elks on July 18th. That was the night you mentioned with the, the three home runs in it. And I'll go with the three-run shot that Cooper Witten had in that game. That was part of that five-run third inning. I really enjoyed that because off the bat, with how deep it was hit in the park, I didn't think it was gone. And I remember thinking, okay, he's probably going to get extra bases here. And then I think it was the I had a genuine surprise when that ball went over the fence. And then I realized as I was surprised, everyone else was surprised because of how deep in the park he had done that. That was his second at bat with the Apple Sox. And I remembered asking him before that game, you know, what he could bring to the team. And he was saying, you know, I think I can bring some power to the team. So it was really cool that in his second plate appearance with the Apple Sox and for him personally in that week, because he had played the previous Sunday with Portland, gotten dropped by them. We added him. I think it was that Wednesday night or the Tuesday night he played for us. So in a span of two times in three plate appearances, he went deep. So I really enjoyed that one. I think that was probably my favorite just for that reason. Yeah. Yep. I remember that one. His, his first day in town to roll out of bed and hit a home run is, uh, is pretty awesome. Pretty special. I remember you hitting him middle of the order right after that too. And it was just like, here we go. We are ready to go. Such a bummer how he got hurt. Of course, though, his season had to end a little bit early just after joining the Apple Sox, but that was a really special moment in a really fun game as well. But uh, I remember those home runs, especially let's talk about some other maybe things that you remember the kind of these fun moments like this. What were some of your other favorite games? You talked about the Bellingham game on the road. That was a it was just a great baseball game from start to finish the four to two win late in the regular season. Like you said, kind of a must win because we were still battling for the second half of the time and had lost the last two days in very close fashion. But that game on August 3rd, I was looking back at the, at the box score. 3,099 fans, you know, Bellingham at that point, they were already in, but they're still playing like they're fighting for a playoff spot. And that was one of those classic Jaden Williamson games where he came in five and two thirds innings of scoreless relief. And I'll just, I'll never forget that eighth inning he had because he gives up the leadoff single, but then strikes out each of the next three hitters. You mentioned already MJ Sweeney's go ahead home run in that game. We get the insurance run in the ninth when, you know, Izzy Lopez's legs help manufacture a run. That was the moment for me where I went, oh, that's right. Playoff baseball starts next week. Yeah, yeah, that 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 game felt like the biggest game of the summer. It felt like the just complete playoff atmosphere. 
um, two teams that have a little bit of a rivalry now going and, 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 you know, things were getting a little chippy and, um, you know, we both kind of figured, Hey, we're both in the playoffs. It's just felt like that playoff preview and, and we kind of wanted to set the tone. And so did they, you know, another game that really comes to mind is that Friday night at home versus Edmonton. I think it went 13 innings felt like just nobody could find a way to win the game, but um, I, I felt like that kind of summarized our team this summer. We had so many extra inning games and so many just numerous walk off moments. I've never been a part of a team with so many walk offs, you know, and it just felt like even even, at, you know, we were playing Kelowna early in the year. We, we give up a five spot in the ninth. I don't I just don't know how many teams still find a way to win that after blowing a five run lead in the ninth. that just that win there just felt like it summarized our summer of, yeah, we're not we're not going to roll over. We're going to fight. We're going to find a way to get a W. I'm so surprised you said that as one of your favorites because of how long that game was and how long that week had been. There were the three games with Bellingham in Wenatchee right before that. I remember the first one went our way. That was kind of the way we wanted that to go. But then the next two kind of got away. Errors on the second night against Bellingham. And then that third game was one where I remember there were a lot of chances late. We kind of had a couple of mistakes defensively there. It was so weird. I remember we talked about the defensive play earlier, Mitch, but it really felt like prior to that final week and a half of the season, this was a top-notch defensive team. And I think the errors look a little more inflated than they really were. Again, it's it's the classic Bill Parcells quote, but you know, kind of changing it up a little bit. You know, your errors at the end of the season are they kind of define what you are. You know, they make sense and it all adds up one way or another. But my point being that this was a team who was not committing a lot of errors night in and night out. They racked up a little bit down the stretch, but so I was surprised to see you pick that that Edmonton game, but but that was an emotional win because, of course, that was the extra inning triumph at home. I think it was, uh, yeah, the bottom of the 13th. And it was one of those wins where it was like, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. We have to win this game tonight. We have to find a way and never led in that game until winning it in the bottom of the 13th. You know, along those lines, I thought you probably were thinking of this one, too, was the one earlier in the year against Kamloops where we were coming off of losing two or three at Port Angeles. And then that 12-inning victory at home, it was kind of one of those same ones where it felt like we just have to win this game one way or another. But you're right, and I think that was something that was so fun with this group is they might have been exhausted, but it felt like your guys were still, you know, they still had their eye on the ball, regardless if they were tired, regardless of if the team was kind of playing poorly at that time. They were pretty locked in in these extra inning contests. Yeah, I, you know, and I... I think a little bit of that comes back to these guys just really enjoyed playing with each other. They they kind of loved each other and and loved fighting for one another. So when it came down to those late inning close games and extra innings, it just felt like just the the culture we had in our dugout and the tight knit group that we built and have. It just it just felt like they they wanted it more than the other team. And now uh, we're not going to lose. We're not going to lose at home in front of our fans. So. You know, it, I, I just really enjoyed the toughness of this group and the the grit and the just. No, night in, night out, you know, we're not going to roll over. It, it just felt like we're not going to get blown out by anybody. Yeah. Did you know that 21 former Apple Sox players have made it to the major leagues? This past April, Cincinnati Reds right-handed pitcher Casey Langamina became the 20th former Apple Sox player to make his major league debut. And then the Apple Sox got their 21st former player to make it to Major League Baseball when Alec Jacob debuted for the San Diego Padres in mid-July. 
You might recognize a few other names across Major League Baseball. Marco Gonzalez of the Seattle Mariners, Drew Rasmussen of the Tampa Bay Rays, Ryan Kreidler of the Detroit Tigers, Griffin Canning of the Los Angeles Angels, and Michael Tolia of the Colorado Rockies. And those are just a few other players in the majors who previously spent a summer in Wenatchee. You never know which guy on this summer's Apple Sox team will one day find him suiting up in the big leagues at the highest level of baseball. To learn more about Apple Sox players playing professional baseball, please visit applesox.com and select the Apple Sox and the Pros drop-down option on the About column. You mentioned uh, we, we both agreed on that game on August 3rd against Bellingham is one of our favorite games. I'll give you two others that I'm thinking of, and I want to hear one more from you too, so we both have three. My other two favorite games were maybe two different ones, but two memorable ones for me. Let's go with the first one, June 9th. I thought that was that game against the, the Victoria Harbor Cats that went 10 innings. It, I think uh, I, this was something I really enjoyed talking about when I was in Victoria with some of their workers who hadn't been there with the team the last couple of years. I remember telling them the first night, I said, every time these two teams play, it feels like a playoff game because both teams are, one, probably going to make the playoffs, and two, always have championship aspirations. And I think it shows with how Victoria has been in recent years, how the Apple Sox have gotten back up at that level as well. And it really showed it in the first matchup of the season. That was the one where you remember it was a little bit rainy that night uh, leading up to the game. It cleared, but that was a back and forth ball game. That was one where I remember they scored four runs in the top of the seventh, made it a five to one score. But then the Apple Sox bounce right back and score four runs in the bottom of the seventh. Three in the eighth, and we're thinking, here we go. Let's go to the ninth and wrap this up. Victoria scores three in the ninth, and then we have to win it eventually in the tenth inning. But, you know, I look at that one, Mitch, and, you know, if that was a sign of things to come between the two teams and the seasons they were about to have, it was a pretty good start, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, that whole series w w was a good one. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that one. Um, I'm trying to go back to the uh... – the other game I was thinking of here, uh, a similar game where I think it's the first game against Bend at home. Um, can't remember what we were down seven to one, something, something pretty big yeah. there early on. And you know, as a coach, obviously you never want to show. Oh man, we're here it comes. You just it had that feeling like they're about to put it on us. We were coming off a long road trip. Um, I think at Victoria we were on a three game skid. Uh, had to bounce to come back home the next night on a Monday night. And it had all the feeling of this could get ugly, um, you know, and, and and credit to our club, man. They, they found a way, you know, Ben definitely made some errors to spark some of that, but uh, rallied back and ended up, ended up handling that game. So that was a fun one to be a part of as well. Yeah. I'm just checking the box score. that was one. You guys were down six to one heading into the bottom of the fifth. They scored four. They scored five times in the fourth, once in the fifth. And you guys put up an eight spot in the bottom of the fifth, kind of taking a page out of the, the 2022 Apple Sox with a crooked inning there. But that was another one of those, we have to just win tonight. And it felt like every time this team had one of those situations, like when they were heading home, where we have to win, we just have to find a way to get this done, they did. And, and it, it, this the home field advantage this year was something special, I thought, because you know you could look at the, the record-setting, uh, season at home where you go 21 and six, a new record uh, for the team at in home play. But 
you guys defended Paul Thomas Senior Stadium. Do you attribute that to, you know, having the last at bat sometimes or just something, you know, the guys took a lot of pride in playing there over time? What do you think that was? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is the pride of, of playing in front of your home fans. You know, I think our guys really enjoy just being at home. I think a lot of our guys enjoy playing at our park and showing up to the yard and taking on-field BP at our place. And, you know, we have a fun clubhouse and guys are keeping it loose and playing cards. And I think just all of that builds into showing up ready to go for a game. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, you know, I can't attribute it to one thing. I can just I just can tell you the vibe and the feel at our place just feels a little bit different when, when guys are playing at home. I'll give you my last favorite game of the season as well. Now, this one was one on the road. And I think uh, actually two of mine were on the road this year of the three that I picked. But my my last one I'm going to mention was the game on July 4th. That was at Port Angeles. And I think it was just because it was one of the best pitching outings I can ever remember. And I'm kind of a sucker for a good outing with a pitcher really doing something special. And we mentioned him before, but Garrett Gores, the eight scoreless, two hits, no walks, 11 strikeouts, and the immaculate inning in that one. I I had never seen an immaculate inning in person before, so I was so excited for that. And I don't know if you were the same way, Mitch, but I remember from that game when I didn't even realize in my mind, it didn't necessarily click that he had an immaculate inning until he was about to deliver the ninth pitch, where it was just like, holy smokes, that's eight strikes already. Right. Yeah, for me, I completely – I mean, my mind wasn't even on an immaculate inning. I was probably – thinking two pitches ahead, thinking one inning ahead, talking with Mike and Colton and trying to figure out what I'm going to do here and there. Um, so I didn't even realize it, honestly, until until he came in and guys were picking him up and somebody brought it up. And I thought, oh, yeah, that completely went over my head. But, you know, that was a fun one, too, because I believe it was Garrett Gores's last outing in a Sox uniform. And I just remember talking to him a little bit before the game and just thanking him for his time in, in Wenatchee and all he's done for us and – um, so for, to see him go out like that with a great quality start was, was pretty special. That was so cool. And I remember the first thing I looked for after I realized he got it, I was looking at the dugout cause I was wondering how many people knew that he had gotten it. It was, it was really cool. How many guys jumped out and were pretty excited. So that's why I was wondering if you knew in the moment, because I saw how the rest of the dugout was, but that, that was, that was such an exciting moment. Such a great game too. I, it was a, a nice bounce back. If we look at let me let me ask you this. This was something I wanted to do next for some of the things you remember from the season. We kind of talked about our favorite moments. My my next thing I want to ask you is about some of the what if moments of the season. This can be just things that maybe went differently than expected, or if this happens instead, are we looking at that as one of the most memorable? I'll I'll give you an example. The July third game for me is one of the what if moments. Largest crowd at Paul Thomas since 2018, over 2,000 people in attendance, and you guys get that rally going in the ninth inning and nearly win that game. I looked at that one as, if we walk that one off in front of that crowd, how crazy does that place go? Because people were rocking and rolling in that ninth inning right before that the game it came to an end. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, I remember that game as well. I think, I can't remember Reeve Boyd or somebody was coming up and I specifically remember and man, this would be a good time for his, uh, for his, you know, walk off moment of the summer, special kid going to Oregon state. And, you know, we had a few of those that, that, that in my mind that crept in that, Oh, if this guy runs one out of the yard here, it'd be pretty special. You know, I, 
there's so there's so many what ifs. Most of the time, the what ifs are what if I would have put this guy in or done this pitching <laughs> change or held this guy at third when I shouldn't have got him thrown out. And so mo- most of my what ifs are pretty critical on my end, whether I should have held a guy or sent a guy. But yeah, I, it's tough to think of one moment there where uh, what if something would have happened. Yeah, I I did not at all mean this to be a critical thing. I bet it completely as you know some <laughs> some moments like wow, if that had happened, how cool would that have been? You know, something like you know, if, let's say Garrett Gores hadn't tossed the immaculate inning, and we're going, oh my gosh, what if he had? That that's that's more along the lines of what I was thinking. Right. But that was such a fun night. I remember that was one that Joey Pearson had that great outing in relief in the middle of the game with his four scoreless innings, six strikeouts, and you're kind of coming down the stretch, and he was so close to getting that. The two runs scored in the bottom of the ninth inning, but just couldn't get the, the third one across to tie it up. But such a fun moment. I remember that that double that Brandon Ponce had. You had him pinch hit in his previous plate appearance. I think that was my the favorite part of that one. It was a non-league game. You you had pretty much for all non-league games, Easton Amundsen and Brandon Ponce didn't play except mm-hmm. for that one. You rolled them out as pinch hitters. Mason Strong came off the bench, pinch running, and then staying in right field in that game. Frankie Carney briefly was in as a pinch runner. Like you, you kind of pulled out all the stops, and I thought that was really cool because, in a lot of ways, I think fans, players, anyone can look at those Don League games and kind of go, "Hey, these don't really matter, so to speak." But you were kind of saying that, "No, no, no, this this matters. We've got a packed house here tonight. Let's try and win this one." Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and. You know, it's going back to those non-league games. They're such a tough spot, man, because trying to conserve pitching, trying to limit guys on the mound. But, you know, then you get a fireworks night where you get a huge crowd like that. And and you, you definitely you don't want to lose at home, regardless of what it is. Anytime the scoreboard's on, man, we're, we're trying to win. So, yeah, that one that one stings a little bit still that, that we didn't find a way to win that one that night. I'll look back at another what if that I thought of. And I told you about this one before. I look back at Marshall Lipsy. He was a guy, I remember you guys were really excited about him coming to the team. And it just, it, the injury in his first home game after playing three straight road games, that to me was a big what if, because you're thinking, here's another guy into the outfield mix. This could really help things out, but it just didn't work out. And it was such a bummer to see is anyone's season end that early. But I look at that and I'll go another guy with an injury too, uh, Luke Myers, same type of thing where it was like, boy, we saw some really good outings from that guy early on, but a little arm fatigue kind of takes over. Those were two guys I was in particular with how they started. I was really looking forward to what they could do over the course of the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Those are, those are definitely some good what ifs there. Yeah. Two, two guys that were going to be really big pieces for us. Lipsy, you know, plan on being our basically our everyday center fielder, you know, and Luke Myers was dominant in his early outings. So definitely go back to some of that and just gosh dang it, we had some unfortunate injuries. You know, even Cooper Witten, um yeah. you know, had previously kind of pulled his oblique and then he comes into the summer and kind of re pulls that injury again. And you just go through some of those pieces, it seems like every year and then then you look at your playoff roster and say, Man, what if what if I would have had that guy? What if I would have had this? You know, I even last year, I still think about, you know, Matt Hallback, final yeah. final regular season week, and he, he ends up a little limp, pulls a hamstring, and, man, probably our most consistent hitter off that team that, that was going to be there for the playoff run. And, you know, but, but every team's dealing with that, and everybody has those what-ifs. So it, it's one of these years, man, we'll catch, we'll catch all the right breaks. The one thing that was not, not good, but I'm saying it created an opportunity 
with Marshall Lipsy going down, Kyle Hennington got a chance with this team. You needed another outfielder, especially to hit from the left side. And yeah, that sure was a nice signing. Picking him up, that was kind of a late season, beginning of July. You add him to the fold and ended up being a really stable center fielder for this team down the stretch. Not someone who in the fall of last year or the spring of this past year, we had any ex- expectation he'd be playing for the Apple Sox, but what are those examples of it's kind of fun seeing certain guys you don't expect play a huge role in a team, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and you know, you bring up a good point. It gives some of these other guys some opportunities and you end up, you know, signing a guy even like Jaden Holloway down the final couple of weeks that may have not gotten that opportunity. And I guess it, you know, it brings a little light to it, uh, to the situation. And, and you see some players you wouldn't have seen before. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. And it worked out in that regard. Mitch, we're kind of winding things down here. Let me ask you about this. As you look from the 2022 season to the 2023, I asked you remember some things before the season that you felt like you learned. Now, kind of wondering at this point after the season, what are some things you learned from year to year after putting in these first two years of the helm of the Apple Sox? Yeah, you know, we touched a little bit on year one to year two. I felt like the offseason focus was um, really attacking the pitching staff, getting that improved, getting getting more quality arms in here. Um, you know, and I think at the end of this year, we kind of realized we had a lot of young guys. We had a lot of incoming freshmen. Um, it felt like two polar opposite teams. The year before, we had a lot of, you know, two-year junior college players who were heading to Division One, or some older guys mixed with a couple incoming guys. So I think, you know, the approach this year is just getting – you know, getting a good mix, getting a good, a solid one through nine, a solid pitching staff that obviously we want those really talented incoming freshmen, you know, and we love those name brand schools. I thought it was really fun to see the Texases, the Oregon States, you know, uh, the Oklahomas, but just getting back, you know, obviously still trying to pull from some of those great programs, um, but just getting a better mix of guys, you know, getting some, a little more veteran leadership on our club you know, mixed with some of those freshmen and, and, and some of those younger guys that have been a year on campus. So, you know, I think I think that's it. And it, and really, I think, you know, the last two years with our success that we're slowly building here, I think, you know, at times it's hard, but we've, we've got to be a little a little picky. You know, we've got to really break down who we're bringing in here and and, and be a little choosy on the type of player we're trying to get. So uh, I think that's what we've learned. Not going to talk to you yet about the recruiting. Obviously, that's well underway, though. But what's the has there been reaction to the type of the year that this team just had that's helped with recruiting? Has that been something that maybe either coaches or players have talked about being like, hey, you, you had a pretty good team here. You know, I wouldn't mind if we I could be a part of that this coming summer. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's been one of the, the more fun things to see. Um, you know, and I think Mike can attest to this as well is it's not so much of us having to go and call people and constantly text and Hey, can we get a player from your program? You know, I had a lot of different people just reach out and say, Hey, really, really like what you guys did this summer. I like the product you guys are putting out. Would you mind if we send a guy to you? And, and that's where it's fun when, when, you know, coaches and you build those relationships where they want to send you players to an rather than uh, it feels like you're begging for players. So it, it, it's been really fun to see so far. So heading into building your third team, would you say you're enjoying the recruiting more, less, about the same as before? Is it, you know, you talked about some things being a little bit easier. I I, I know you've talked about you really like this part of the job right now. Dude, I'm, if if I could recruit five different teams, I would I would jump on it in a heartbeat. I, the recruiting's the fun part for me, man. It's it's not even an, an enjoyment. My wife would tell you I'm, it's a it's obsessive. It's just I 
I, I love this part of it. I love the phone calls. I love trying to get players and, you know, just getting to play a little bit of that fantasy football general manager and, and sign guys. And it, it's been really fun. It's it, This is one of the f- more fun times of the year for me. It's so funny hearing that because it's, again, it's a two and a half month season, but the fact that the rest of the year can be the recruiting, it's kind of funny hearing that, you know, that's the part you enjoy so much, but it also is a little more conducive to an easier and more normal life, I imagine, as well. <laughs> right. I got to stay busy somehow, man. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, Mitch, we thank you for the time. Looking forward to talking more baseball later on. You've got a busy fall yourself, though, coming up. So we'll let you go here. Hope you can enjoy some of the other podcasts we have coming along the way. Have a good offseason and really looking forward to this team that gets built for 2024. Awesome. Appreciate you, Joel. Thanks for tuning in to the Wenatchee Apple Sox podcast. If you enjoyed it and don't already, please subscribe to get updates on our newest episodes. Make sure to like the Apple Sox on Facebook and follow at Applesox on Twitter or Instagram. Wenatchee Applesox Baseball, celebrating summer one inning at a time.